You're listening to Redeeming Grace Audio. For more resources or messages, check out redeeminggracecc.com. So as we've been talking about over the past few weeks, at Redeeming Grace, we believe we're a church led by conviction, where our foundation is scripture, where our worship is shaped by the gospel of Jesus Christ, where our lives and our mission are meant to be shared, where our members are both disciples and ministers and where our ambition is to see kingdom growth and multiplication, and we do that through simplicity. These convictions, we believe, define who we are. They're born out of who we are, not imposed from the outside in. They are meant to guide how we live as a church, how we'll grow as a church, how we are discipled and how we make disciples, and also they define how we long to be known as a church. That when people speak of our church or when we're speaking of our church, that these would be the things that define who we are. And that would be a marker of what Redeeming Grace Community Church is like. And so as we close up talking about this little five-week jaunt through our core convictions, I just wanted to spend some time this morning looking at how Jesus defines and identifies his disciples, his church, and to see the connective point between how Jesus established the church and why we believe that we are called to the things to which we're called as a church. And also look at some challenges that face our church specifically as we long to live and move in this way. And so I want to look at John chapter 15 this morning and John chapter 13. But I want to begin in John chapter 15, where Jesus talks to his disciples and is teaching them who they are meant to be as this new people that he's creating and what this looks like and how they should live as followers of Jesus. And beginning in verse 4, moving to verse 13, he tells them this, Abide in me. And I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples as the father has loved me. So I have loved you abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. And then if we move over to John 
chapter 13, verse 34 and 35, Jesus says this, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. When Jesus gives these instructions to his followers, to his disciples, he says, if you want to be known as my people, this is what it looks like. First and foremost, you need to abide in me, to abide in my love, to stay with and to follow after me as your Savior and Lord, but also that you would love one another. He says, you'll know that you're my disciples if you abide in my love. You'll know that you're my friends if you follow my commandments and you follow in the way that I am leading you. And the world will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. And so when it comes to being the church and when it comes to being a church and when it comes to being a follower of Jesus, it really is that simple. Our mission and our calling is to abide in Christ and to love one another. Or as Jesus taught as an apologetic to the greatest commandments, to love God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. It's that simple, but it's also that difficult. It's simple in the sense that it's not very complex. There's not a lot of layers. There's not a lot of things to follow. But like everything with the gospel, it's difficult because the things that he's asking us to do, even though they are simple, they are very hard. It's hard to abide in Christ. That word there just denotes this idea of being still and resting with Jesus and being constant with Jesus and being faithful with Jesus. And those are things that are very hard to do. We just got back from the beach. And it is very hard for me to abide at the beach. I am notorious for when we go on trips, being ready to leave as soon as we get there, making our exit strategy, and to really be a good participant on a vacation, I have to do, and I'm very serious here, a lot of praying before it and a lot of preparing. Because when I leave, it's not like all the things that I have to do just stop. They're all still there. They just have to be done before or after. And so it's hard not to be thinking constantly about all the things I have to do and all the places I have to go and all the obligations that are waiting. And so the idea of just being still and sitting and relaxing is a difficult thing for me. And when it comes to just abiding in Christ, it's so hard for us to do because we don't like to sit still. When we think about following Jesus being a lifetime endeavor that takes up every moment of our day and every bit of our space, it's overwhelming. I like a compartmentalized Jesus. I like to visit Jesus. I like to go to church and have some time with Jesus and then leave. But the idea of abiding in Christ, where he is the first claim to all of my affection, all of my love, all of my time, that's much more difficult. Loving one another is hard. I mean, it's simple, but it's hard. To say that I love you or to say that I love anyone or say that you love me or that we love each other is a very easy thing to do. To love each other for 45 minutes to an hour and a half on Sundays. I'm just kidding. 45 minutes is like just the sermon part. But to love each other for about an hour and a half on Sundays, that's pretty easy to do. 
To love each other for maybe a couple hours during a community group, that can be easy to do. To love each other when we like each other and have a lot of things in common, that's easy to do. But to love each other when there's difficulty, to love each other when there's conflict, to love each other when God calls us to do life and to do church together with people that maybe we wouldn't normally associate with, that can be hard. To love each other when someone's insensitive or when someone's hard to love, that can be incredibly difficult. To love each other when it's easy just to pack up and go off to a church down the road, those are difficult things to do, but it's who we're meant to be. And these are the things for which our church should be known. And these five convictions that help us practice that and the things that, that lean into our personality are meant to meet this kind of standard. As you look at Jesus talking about this idea of abiding in him and what all that's supposed to be, he says, you abide in me and my words abide in you. He says, as the Father has loved me, I love you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments. These things I have spoken to you. We see this heavy emphasis on the word, on abiding in the word of Christ, on hearing the commandments of Christ and following those things. And that's why we believe that it is crucial for our church to be founded on the word of God. In order to abide with Jesus, we need to be resting in the word. We already talked about this. We looked at our worship. Paul says to let the word of Christ dwell in you richly so that we can worship and so that we can sing. And so to be a people who abide in Christ, we need to be in the word. We need to be founded on the word. Everything that we do needs to come back to the word. And we need to be a people who obey the commandments of God because Jesus told us that is how we abide in him. We abide in his love by being a people whose worship is shaped by the gospel. When everything that we do reminds us of the life and death and resurrection of Jesus, when our worship is meant to point us back to the gospel truth that God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him won't perish but have everlasting life. When our worship is shaped by the gospel, we are abiding literally in the love of Christ because we are being reminded time and time again, this is how much Jesus loves me. And so my worship is born and our worship together is born and your worship independently is born out of this admiration and wonder and awe of abiding in the steadfast, immovable, unwavering love of Jesus. Our ambition is to bear much fruit. <laughs> Jesus says that that's our calling, that he's the vine and we're the branches and good branches bear fruit. And so our ambition as a church is to bear fruit and to multiply and to see kingdom growth and expansion so that we can see people saved by Jesus in our congregation and growing up and now abiding with us in Christ. Jesus says that there is no greater love that a man has for another than he would lay down his life. And the way that we lay down our lives for one another is by a shared life. That my life doesn't belong to me, that it belongs to you. And we share that together. That everything I have, I'm ready to be sharing with you. Our love for one another is expressed by the fact that we share a mission and a cause and a purpose. 
Our love for one another is expressed in the fact that I should care about your spiritual growth and you should care about my spiritual growth so that everyone in our body is growing together, that I love you enough to be discipled by you in the faith through Jesus and also that I would take up the work of helping you grow in your faith in Jesus as well. We need to be as a church constantly marked by these things that lead us to abiding in Christ and loving one another. Let's go back to the church in Acts. I guess it's about two and a half weeks ago now, Jonathan sent me a text where he was going on a deep dive into Acts chapter two, and he was looking to word study for the word devoted. And so he just got me all sucked into it. And so we started kind of texting back and forth and was looking through some of these things. And that word in the Greek can be broken down to continuing steadfastly. And so when you read that there into the passage, when you look at this church in Acts chapter 2, they were staying continuously in the apostles' teaching or abiding in the apostles' teaching. They were staying continuously in prayer. They were staying continuously in a shared life with one another. They were staying continuously in discipleship. They were staying continuously in fellowship. They were staying continuously in loving and serving one another and loving and serving with one another. This was a group of Christians who were marked by abiding and loving and staying continuously in that calling that Jesus had given the disciples. And think about how amazing that is. We don't know outside of the apostles, we don't know any of their names of those people who were gathered in Acts chapter two. There's not a list in that particular chapter. We don't know their stories. We don't know their jobs. We don't know how many kids they had. We didn't know their level of education. But what we knew about them is that they abided in Christ and they loved one another. And here we are 2,000 years later talking about that very thing. We should long for and fight for that sort of passion to be that kind of church. As a church, we absolutely can't be satisfied with anything less than this beautiful design that Jesus has given for his church. And we've got to fight against that temptation to settle for what's become passable as church in our modern culture. We need to long to be marked by a church that is both abiding in Christ and loving one another the way that he has called us to. And that if people are talking about Redeeming Grace Community Church 10 years from now, 100 years from now, 200 years from now, or 2,000 years from now, I hope they would say the same thing about us that they say about these Christians in Acts. They don't need to know my name. They don't need to know your name. They don't even need to know the name of our church. But that this group of believers in 2023 we're devoted to, we're continuing steadfastly, abiding in the truth of the gospel and in prayer together and in life together. These were Christians who loved Jesus and so they abided in him and they loved one another so they gave everything for one another. And that's our hope as we lay out these convictions on how this is gonna continue to shape us in to that kind of church. But the reality is there are challenges to that. And there are a lot of challenges, culturally speaking, 
just in the way that the world works, we have all kinds of challenges and those challenges will change. But there are two that I feel like came up a good bit in conversation and church surveys as Michael and Shane and I sat down together that are maybe the most present challenges that make it hard specifically to live out these convictions that we feel called to as a church. One of them is our meeting space or I mean, lack thereof in the sense that we don't own a building. And it's not just in the culture that we live now, but in a certain part of Christianity over the last really several hundred years, the building has been the point of community in the life of a church. The church building has been vital and crucial to shared life as a church. In fact, we've changed the language, right? We don't talk about I am the church or that I belong to the church. We talk about going to church. The church is a destination, that the church building is a space. That's where we go to do the church things, and then we leave to do the not church things. But we don't really have a space where we can say, I'm going to the church. But the good news is, we don't have to have that. We have a space to use, but this space isn't ours. And so what that means is that our community must begin beyond these walls. Our abiding in Christ can't be dedicated to this one particular space. Our love for one another can't be tied to the times that we come together and meet in a special building that we have segmented off for the purpose of doing church. We have to go out and be the church. The doors to our homes are the doors to our church. Our living rooms are our fellowship halls. Coffee shops are our classrooms. We have to maximize the spaces that we have been given and that God has placed us for the purpose of doing life together as a church. We don't need a particular space to abide in Christ and to love one another. We don't need a particular space to see kingdom growth and multiplication. There's another place where that word comes up in the book of Acts. The word translated to devoted in Acts chapter 2 comes up again in Acts chapter 8. And in particular, it comes in verse 13, but I want to read the context around it. Because it begins in verse 9, and it tells the story. It says, But there was a man named Simon, who had previously practiced magic in the city, and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. They all paid attention to him, from the least to the greatest, saying this man is the power of God that is called great. And they paid attention to him because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic. But when they believed Philip as he preached the good news about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Even Simon himself believed after being baptized, he continued with Philip. And seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. Now there were apostles at Jerusalem heard, when they heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit, for they had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. Now when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, 
saying, give me this power also, so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, may your silver perish with you because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours and pray to the Lord that, if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. And Simon answered, Pray for me to the Lord that nothing of what you said may come upon me. There's a lot going on in this passage. So Simon is this magician and he's been wowing people and building up a name for himself. But then Philip answers the call to go and make disciples. And Philip is going out into Samaria, right? Filling out that part of Acts chapter one that he was called to. And he goes on mission and he begins preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ and people hear his words and they believe. And one of those people who believed was Simon, the magician. And now he wanted to follow Jesus and he was baptized. And Philip immediately enrolled him in a discipleship training class on Wednesday nights, put him in the new member small group and made sure that there was a structure in place. No. In verse 13, there's that word. Even Simon himself believed. And after being baptized, he continued steadfastly with Philip. How did he learn to follow Jesus? He followed Philip. He abided in Christ because Philip loved him and invited him into his life. And he followed Philip and he watched him and he helped him grow. And then these apostles, they came in, right? And they start working with these new Christians and they start helping them see what they're called to do. And so we see Peter and John come in And then Simon starts to fall back into his old life. (laughs) And he starts to look for some sort of monetary gain out of all this. And the church leaders meet him where he is, address his sin, call him to repentance, and then pray for him and pray with him. And these were important dudes. (laughs) And they stopped and they loved their brother in Christ enough to take that time with him to call out a sin in a loving and kind and compassionate, but very straightforward way and prayed alongside of him so that he could walk with Jesus. This is a picture of what the church can look like. And we don't see a mention of a building anywhere in the passage. All of this is done in motion. All of this is done in action. All of this is done while answering the call to go and make disciples of all nations. This is what ministry and discipleship and kingdom growth can look like. And we don't need a special private facility to make that a reality. Because here's the truth about Redeeming Grace Community Church and any church for that matter, but we'll just zoom in on the local here. Anywhere that I am, anywhere that you are, Anywhere that we are together, especially when two or three are gathered in his name, anywhere that we are, redeeming grace is there. And we are on call for the sake of the gospel at all times, everywhere we go. And so we don't go to church. We go out as the church. 
We go out believing that wherever we go, that Christ is with us. And whenever we gather together in his name for worship, whenever we gather together in his name for ministry, whenever we gather together in his name for fellowship and to hang out together and enjoy time together, Christ is there with us. He is working and the church is meeting and moving. And here's the cool thing. None of this changes if we do get a space. Because we need some places to put these kids. I mean, we're going to be really cautious and we're going to look for a space and we are. But even if we find a space that is completely adequate, it's not going to have a bunch of classrooms because we don't need a bunch of classrooms. It's a space to gather, a space to worship, a space to disciple, a space to raise our kids together up in the gospel on Sundays for the structured time that we have together. But it's a place where we are sent out from for the purpose of being the church. And so we need to not look at a lack of a building as a challenge, but to be good stewards of every space in which we inhabit. Every moment that God has given us to be the church everywhere we go. And all of a sudden, not having a building moves from being a challenge to being a strength because we don't have a place to rest, but we are constantly being pushed out into the world for the sake of ministry. So no building, you know, no problem. But then there's another challenge, is our distance. Because you guys live a long way away from each other. In fact, I think that from one point to the other, from our furthest stretches, there may be people who live a solid 50-ish minutes away from one another. And this is a fairly new development in the life of our church. So we have become a small church with a great amount of distance separating us from our physical locations, from the places that we leave, live, not leave. Oh, I guess we do leave them to get here and for sometimes a very long drive to get here. But for most of our church's history, it was more rare to find someone who didn't live in particularly the Loganville or Walnut Grove between sort of area. And then just in the way that things flowed and moved on the other side of quarantine, COVID and shutdown and all that kind of stuff, we find ourselves looking very different. People have joined our church that lived in different places. People have moved and changed life in a variety of different ways. And so now we do have a great expanse between the places in which we live. And so we had to sit down and ask some questions about that very early on when Shane and Michael and I got together is, how do we do this? What, what's the best course of action to take when we're a small church coming together in this kind of central point, but then going off into completely other places? Do we split in two? Do we look at replanting and have a Gwinnett church and a Walton County church and just try to replant from the ground up? Do we look at ourselves as parachuting church planters that we're all coming into Loganville? Maybe we're trying to establish something and try to reach out to Loganville and build up a congregation. And then at some point, we'll all be sent off into our communities for the purpose of starting a church. And all none of those are bad suggestions or results, I guess. But what we came to is a realization that the world in which we live is very different. But the way that we're called to do mission and ministry is not. And so while this particular place works really nicely as the epicenter of our mission, and I mean literally, I think this space is kind of the center point of the two, three greatest distances that people come. And so that's cool. But this serves as the center of our mission, the hub from which we're sent. And then as we go out, we draw the boundaries of our church 
to the distances to which we go. And this means that our homes, our neighborhoods, our jobs, and our activities are the mission field of Redeeming Grace Community Church. Wherever you go and wherever I go, that's where our church is meant to go for the sake of making disciples of all nations. That is our Jerusalem. Even though they feel great distances away when we go out to make up our church all over this community, that's where we're meant to reach. Now, the problem with this is this means that we have to really go out of our way to do things that some churches don't. We have to go out of our way to share life together. It's not easy for this place, even if this was our own building and we had all the space and everything we needed, it's not easy for this place to be the point of shared life and shared community together as a church. And so that means that there are going to be times where somebody wants to have something at their house and that might require me driving 30 or 40 minutes. There may be times when I want to get together with somebody to have coffee or to do a Bible study or to spend some time together and we may have to find a weird point of intersection in our lives that we meet together that maybe neither one of us ever go, but there we are and there the church is. It means that I'm going to have to be very intentional if I want someone to pour into me And if I want to pour into somebody else, because the time that we meet here is going to be very small. And so I've got to go out of my normal rhythms to have this relationship with my church family. I've got to go out of my normal spaces. I might have to spend some gas money. I might have to spend some effort. It might be times when my kids are going to go to bed a little bit later because we had to drive 40 minutes to get to some kind of a get together at one of our houses. Or I might have to drive a very long distance to go and partner up with one of you for ministry because someone in your life is hurting or there's a great need that you need some brothers and sisters from your church to come and be a part of. But that's okay. Because here's the thing. Between our our greatest reaches, if we're going to say maybe Stone Mountain to Good Hope, there's about a thousand churches in between there. And that's, I don't think that's actually an exaggeration. And so we could go to any one of them, but everyone in this room and in this space has felt that this is where God has called you for the purpose of partnering with fellow believers for doing the work of a local church. And by that, I mean the small one, because again, we're local is a relative term. But we've made the decision. We've felt the call and we've made the decision to be here and to be this church together. And so if we're going to do that, then that means that we've got to put in the work and that we have to be intentional and take very seriously the calling to route my life around shared community with you as my brothers and sisters in Christ who make up this little church called Redeeming Grace. But this also means that as we seek kingdom growth and as we seek multiplication, as we minister to the people in our lives, our family who doesn't know Christ, our coworkers who don't know Christ, people who go to our schools that don't know Christ, people that we encounter on a regular basis, people that live in our buildings, whatever the case may be, as we are out doing ministry and sharing the gospel and trying to lead people to Christ, When someone needs to be baptized that you've been ministering to or that we've been ministering to together, they're probably going to want to do that here. When somebody needs a church home, if you've been the person that's been pouring into them spiritually, they may be looking here. When you have friends and family who don't have a church home because you love your church, you want to invite them to your church, that means that we are going to be asking our neighbors to go out of their way to join us. And that's a hard hurdle. 
when they could pick any one of a thousand churches. And maybe sometimes that's the best solution for them. But also we have to be willing to make that ask. To say, no, come and be a part of what God is doing here. This is the little epicenter that we meet. This is our hub, but our church is so broad. And that means that to join Redeeming Grace, it may, no, it will cost convenience. Because if we believe that our markers are not just that we gather together in the same place once a week because we like the same kind of church, but if we are trying to abide in Christ together and to love one another, if those are the things that are going to mark who we are, that means that it is absolutely going to cost us convenience to be able to do this together. But if we do church the right way, it will absolutely be worth it because it will be worth me shaping my life around my church and not fitting my church into my life. If we are abiding in Christ together, if we love one another as Christ loves us, if we meet these convictions that we are setting ourselves to, then it will be worth whatever inconvenience has to come to be able to experience the church the way that God has called us to live together. And so that means as we look at this distance being a difficulty, then we've got to learn how to bridge the gap. And we can do that with invitation and incarnation. To invite the people that are a part of my life away from church into church and to invite my church into my life away from church where the church becomes incarnational. And I know the, the two eyes is probably very helpful. Maybe you're saying, Chris, do you have a graph? And I would say, why, yes, yes, I do. Although after I made this one, and as I was getting ready to come up here, I realized I probably could have done this in two forms, and it would have been nice if we had two separate circles with the arrows in here, and then I, we brought them together, maybe with some, I got to maybe Shane do some motion graphics and bring them all together. But here it is. So you have to imagine those things in your brain, right? So I have my community that may be kind of separate and out here. And then I have my church that meets over here. And if we want to create this idea of shared life, it has to be built on invitation and incarnation, on inviting my church into my community, on inviting my church into my life and inviting my community into my church. Our church is incarnate and on mission in all of our communities so that we can invite our community into our church and create this nice redeeming grace gold shared life together. We have to seek out ways to be together. We have to seek out ways to serve together. We have to seek out ways to disciple together and be discipled, to minister together as this church. We have to seek out ways to be this church. And the way that we do that is by recognizing that the way that we do church here and now in America in the 21st century is a bit upside down and we need to turn it right side up. We've already talked about the idea of the professional and volunteer structure and how not biblical that is. But this kind of life requires that our church corporate supports the body, not vice versa. It's not the body trying to build up an institution or a structure, but that the church and its leadership and our finances and everything we have is meant to be used to mobilize the body for the purpose of going and making disciples of all nations. It's the role and the responsibility of leadership, of the eldership, to equip 
the church body, to support the church body, to build up the church body. And then we sharpen one another as iron sharpens iron. We take our finances and bring them together and then redistribute them for the purpose of doing ministry. Each one of us being ministers and disciples and disciple makers. When it comes to mercy ministries and missions, these shouldn't be things that are identified by a couple people, quote unquote, at the top, and then given this vision down the board, but that the body of believers, the congregation, should be bringing up the needs in our communities. If there's someone in my family or my neighborhood or my place of work, one of my friends, people that I know and care about, if they're hurting, then they're your widows and orphans. If there's someone in your community that's hurting, that's in need, that needs the gospel, that's struggling, they're my widows and orphans. They're the ones to whom we are called as a church. The people we know, the places we go, those are the places our church should be going and be mobilized to. The teams that my kids play on and that your kids play on, the groups and clubs that your kids are associated with or that my kids are associated, those are the teams and the clubs and the groups that our church should be pouring into and investing into. The places that we go on a regular basis, we should go to those places together for the purpose of ministry. This is about fighting to love one another, continue steadfastly with one another, and to be the church on mission everywhere we go. We're called to abide in Christ and to love one another, and that's it. We do that by building our foundation on Scripture, by having our worship shaped by the gospel, on having our lives and our mission shared, by being every one of us, both disciples and ministers in the cause of Christ. And we do it all with the ambition that if we do this thing the way that God has called us to do this thing, then we will see kingdom growth. We will see multiplication and God adding to our number day by day those who are being saved. We'll see multiplication and God sending out missionaries and ministers for the sake of planting churches and reaching new communities. Our church will be sending out new churches for the purpose of doing this in other places. And this is all we should be known for. So that God receives all the honor, all the glory, and all of the praise, and that the gospel would be amplified through our world. And so let's be the kind of church who abides in Christ and who loves one another, who loves our God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and loves our neighbor as ourselves. And let's prioritize doing this together. Because that's the way that Jesus has called us to do it. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for the church and all of its beauty and all of its complexity. And we thank you for all of the church's meeting today small ones, big ones, churches that have large buildings, churches that have no buildings, churches meeting in homes, churches meeting in coffee shops, 
God, we thank you for the churches that are doing well and the churches that are struggling. We thank you for our church. Our church with a history that doesn't necessarily make sense. A group of believers who have decided to do life together even though it's not convenient. And honestly, that doesn't even make sense. But you've called us together for a purpose. Not just because we like each other, not just because we may share some doctrinal connections, not just because we like to do church the same way, but you've called us together to be a church family of brothers and sisters in Christ on mission for the gospel. You've called us to abide in Jesus together, and you have called us to love one another. And so, Father, we just pray that you keep that passion burning. That you would instill in our hearts a love for our church that is born out of a love for you. God, help us never waver from our foundation. God, let the word of Christ dwell in us richly as a church. Help us never to make a decision that's not immediately taken to the word. Help us to abide in you through abiding in your word together. God, our worship, we long for it to always be gospel-shaped and shaped by the gospel. The songs we sing, the prayers we pray, the confessions we offer are all in response to the great love with which you've loved us. God, help us to long to see kingdom growth and multiplication. It can be easy to be comfortable we're small, we like each other, we fit in this space pretty well. God, we want to see salvation. We want to see kingdom growth. We want to see you add to our number day by day those who are being saved and also, God, those who are being sent. That through this church, you would start new churches and new communities would be reached because of the gospel. God, help us to love each other well, to share our lives and our mission, to sharpen one another in the gospel, to be sharpened by one another in the gospel, and to be the hands and feet of Jesus on mission and in ministry together. God, make this a place where every single person answers the call to be a minister of Jesus Christ and make this a place where no one does that alone. God, give us a passion to be invitational to the people that you've placed in our lives who need a church home, who need a community to love them and support them, who need the gospel. Give us a passion to be incarnational as a church, to not just rely on meeting together in one space, but to go with one another into our lives for the purpose of seeing men and women saved by the gospel. And God, if anyone ever speaks of Redeeming Grace Community Church, 
may it be clear that we are a group of believers abiding in Jesus and loving one another. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.